And our prayer is that through equip, we will become more and more equipped to walk through this earth with the victory that God has for us. And so what we've been talking about here the last several weeks is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And in this passage, he is bringing order to the church in the issue of gifting, how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And so we've taken the last several weeks and looked at 1 Corinthians 12. Tonight, we're going to take a brief look at 1 Corinthians 13 uh, because we spent a lot of time in that in, in the month of April and the month of May in, in the service on Sunday morning. And if you missed some of those things, I would encourage you to get back online and listen to them. Uh, they'll help you understand this passage even more. And then next week, we're going to really begin on where Paul has been aiming at uh, this whole time from the moment he wrote about the Spirit not wanting us to be ignorant about gifts. And he's really going to now just kind of notch this thing down. But the thing that he wants to say before we do that is fundamental to all of it is love. So let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 1. And we're going to read through this passage and ask the Lord to help us just grow in it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three... But the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, there's so much richness in this for us to judge our hearts by, for us to be challenged to live by. And, and I just pray that it would take root. That Father, from the core of people that are here in this room tonight, that the way we choose to live and act will... will Father, through love, will infect our whole body of believers. And we will all walk in the spirit of love in all things. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
We have uh, given this passage a lot of attention over the last couple of, uh, of months, and it, it deserves a lot of attention. Really, it's, it's fundamental and core, as we'll talk a little bit more tonight, to the church walking in victory. I believe it's fundamental and core for families to walk in victory, for relationships uh, to walk in victory, is for there to be a growing core of people in every one of those who choose to act in accordance to this Scripture. Now, many books of the Bible and many of the themes of the Bible have a key Scripture or a key passage. Uh, If you have a, a study Bible, if you will take the time when you're starting a new book, many, many times in a good study Bible, it will give you the theme of the book that you're about to read. It'll tell you when it was written. It will tell you who it was written to. And many, many times it will give you a key passage for the truth that's being laid out in that, in that, in that book. These key passages or scriptures can sum up the entire message in just a few lines. And when you understand that key message while you're reading uh, the book or you're thinking about that theme, you've got a real solid hook into a foundation of what that theme is really about and what it really means. So when you think about the passage we're going to read tonight, and, the, and love, whenever you hear Jesus calling us to love one another, if you know this passage, you have a really good foundation as to what he's telling us to do. It brings life to what he's telling us to do. It brings awareness to what he's telling us to do. These key passages, again, can sum up the entire message in just a few lines, and, and they stand alone. They stand alone. They are usually what people memorize. A key passage does not have to be read in context of the passages around them to properly understand them. They, they, they were meant to stand out and to be very, very clear. So let, let me give you one. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the key biblical passage. If you understand this passage, if you know this passage, and you apply it in Genesis, you apply it in in 1 and 2 Samuel, you apply it to the prophets, you apply it to the rest of the Gospels, you apply it uh, to the epistles, you, you begin to understand everything better because there's this foundation that it's all about God's love for us shown to us through Jesus. It's a key fundamental passage that reveals what God is doing and why he's doing it and why it matters to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, let me read another passage for you. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many, many times this is used as a key passage. People grab a hold of that verse, 
like it's a, a key passage. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to be careful with this passage. You've got to ask yourself, what does it really mean? Now, this is the first scripture I quoted to my children when they were born. Uh, when all four of, of my biological kids, when they were born and I held them in my arms for the first time, I quoted this scripture to them. But it doesn't mean what a lot of people thinks it, think it means. This, this doesn't mean that you can be an NBA star. It doesn't mean that you can do everything out there that you would ever desire to do because God's going to give you the strength uh, to do it. It's not what it means. Listen to, for, to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking about them having blessed him and helped him while he's in prison in Rome. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He said, you didn't know where I was, you didn't know what was going on, but you were concerned, but you didn't have any opportunity. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, listen, I've been through a lot of stuff. I've been brought high and low. I've been hungry and thirsty and been well fed. And I've learned a secret in every circumstance. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see what he's saying to us? He's not saying that you're going to go out and, you know, grab a hold of some talent and become a star in it. He's saying that whatever you, get, you walk through in life, God will give you the strength in that to walk through it. He's learned the secret of being high and low. This isn't the secret of, he's not saying, hey, I've learned the secret to success. I've learned the secret to power. I've learned the secret to get everything I want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I've learned the secret that no matter what I'm going through, God's going to give me the strength. Through him, I can do all things. So we, we can, when you hear people use that scripture, there's a lot of scriptures people use, and, and it doesn't mean what they're saying at all because they, they haven't read the text. And they'll pull some scripture out, and they'll begin to quote it. I've heard this so many times. So I say, I'm standing on, I've heard people give, give testimony, I'm standing on, and they'll quote some scripture, and I'm sitting there going, that's, that's not what that means. That's not what, that's not what that says at all. Because they haven't taken time to read the rest of them. They're trying to pull something out that is not what that Scripture is actually saying. Remember, man put the numbers in. God didn't put the numbers in. Man put the numbers in. So when we read it, we read it like a letter. The numbers just help us find places. But you have to read it like a letter. You have to read it not in segmented pieces. You read it as a whole. And so when we understand that, uh, we, we understand what, what Scripture is all about, what, is, 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 what, what the Scripture is trying to, to say to us. Now, I say all that to come back to you to say to you that, that 1 Corinthians 13 is a key passage on love. It, 
a key passage can be pulled out and stands alone. John 3.16 stands alone. It, it helps to read all of John 3. It gives you insight into what happened. It colors the thing and gives you a more, uh, a really some fullness into who he's talking to and what's going on and why Jesus came around to say these very words. All of that's helpful and brings, brings it to life. But if all you know is John 3, 16, you've got the truth. You got the whole truth. You got, you got what you need to know. If you don't, if you, if, if, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it has great, there's a great story going on here that Paul is addressing. But 1 Corinthians 13 can still stand alone as a key passage on what love is. If you want to understand the theme of love, the call to love your neighbor, the call to love the brethren, the call to walk as a person of love in the world, you see... You get the depth of it right here in 1 Corinthians 13. So let's, let's remind ourselves, just so we get kind of a picture of what's going on here, because as we go forward in 1 Corinthians 14, as you look back at 1 Corinthians 12, it, it's, it really, he's really, he's, even though it's a key passage that stands alone, it speaks dramatically into the gifting. It speaks dramatically in how we act towards each other, and it speaks really heavily into, into how the church is supposed to function. Remember, 1 Corinthians was a, a troubled church. It was a selfish church. There were a lot of factions inside of this church. There were people who were claiming to be followers of Paul, and people claiming to be followers of Apollos, and people claiming to be, not be followers of, of, of either one of them, and they, they were messed up in how they did communion. Uh, they were doing all kinds of weird things with communion. They were doing weird things with the giftings. All kinds of stuff was messed up inside of Corinthians. And this is why Paul's writing to them. It's a, church, it's, it's a church that's without the guidance of the Word and needing some guidance. It is a church that is abusive to each other. And it's been very abusive, uh, especially as you read this passage, around the exercise of the gift of tongues. It's been abusive in what they, they, they have lifted, the gift of tongues and, and interpretation of tongues and speaking to this high level of, a, of authority and the people who can do this are a special breed of people and they are the the, the, the most spiritual ones in the church, and, and if this doesn't happen inside of every service and every meeting, something is wrong, and, and, it's, they, they've lived. and so what you see in 1 Corinthians 12 is every time tongues is mentioned, it's at the end of the list. He, he sh and as you go into 1 Corinthians 14, he's going to be talking about how tongues is good and edifies us, but there's something better. There's something better. He's trying to bring everything into order in this church. And he's trying to, to lay this out. Uh, telling, so what he's doing is he's not going to tell us about love. So he's, he's talked about giftings, 
That some people have certain gifts, other people don't have certain gifts. Some people can have, some gifts are available for all of us. He's told us all this in 1 Corinthians 12. But he's, now he comes to us where, 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 where love and what it stands for, uh, that it stands alone, and that if it's not, if everything we do isn't based in love for others, wanting the best for others, that none of it's any good. If we're lifting ourselves up above others, if we're glorifying ourselves, if we're doing things for us, if we're not thinking about others, if it's just about what feels good to me, he's saying, it, it, it all breaks down. So, so listen to me. Uh, listen, listen, not to me. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read a couple of verses here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what's he talking about? He's talking about tongues. If I pray in the tongues of angels, if I have the, the, the gift of tongues to speak different languages, if I have all of this going on, and, and I've got this thing going on, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever been around a noisy gong? You know, you don't want too many gong solos, do you? It's got to fit in with the rest of the orchestra, doesn't it? It just becomes annoying. He's just saying, listen, this is, you're getting up and you're saying, I've got the tongues of angels or I, I, I can speak in these tongues of men. He's saying, if it's not motivated out of love, you're missing it. It's just annoying. And he goes on, he says, if I have prophetic power, so he's talking about another gift. If I understand mysteries, more gift. If I have all knowledge, another gift. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You may think you're something, he's saying. But if you're doing that selfishly, you're nothing. You're nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. He says, if you're generous, if you're a hero in all the things you give up, but you've done it to gain honor for yourself, <laughs> you gain nothing. Now, love in this passage, as we talked, in, in, is, is translated, the word is agape. Remember that? And if you remember... Uh, they, they were in Corinth where this goddess, Aphrodite, uh, was the goddess of Eros, which is another word that gets translated in our Bible only a few times as love. It's a Greek word for love, and it's a sensual love. It's about sensuality. And that's why in this, in this city, uh, the, the worship was built around sexuality and, and orgies and prostitution and drunkenness and all sorts of strange things. Over, as we talked a few weeks ago, over a thousand, they say, uh, uh, temple prostitutes lived in the temple and were there and available to the people that came there. And so he's not talking about, you know, emotional love. He's not talking about 
sensual love. He's, the word he's using is agape. And in its simplest terms, as we've talked before, it is to desire to want the highest good for others. To have a heart that wants the best for others. Now, we go into a lot more and really paint that picture of what agape is. But if you really want to nail it down, it gets down to this desire for others, for the good for others. And he says agape is fundamental to all actions having value. Without agape being at the, at the foundation of it, none of the other giftings have value. And he starts right off with the one that they have lifted up to the highest and are trying to show that they're better than other people with it. He starts right off with tongues. And he talks about prophecy. And he talks about knowledge. And he talks about faith. And he talks about generosity. And he's telling us, he's showing us that all of this needs to flow out of the desire to lift others up. And this is true across the board uh, of ministry. If you get a pastor and he is all about his name, him being popular, him being honored, it's all about him, he's the star, everybody else is secondary, that's just... It's, it, that's just no good. It's just no good. If you get a soloist, a singer, loves to sing and loves to perform because he or she wants the attention, wants everybody patting them on the back and telling them how great they are, you know, wants to, you know, wants to be able to show off their talents and everybody to ooh and ah over them. He's saying, it's, it's, it's no good. It's no good. That can be somebody who bakes cookies for people. That can be somebody who serves the poor. That can be somebody who teaches a Sunday school class. If the motive in that effort is about getting a place of honor for myself and it's not about taking the gift that God's given you or me, and using it for the other people's good. I talk to worship teams for years, and when I talk to worship, I say, you know what, you know what a great worship night is? A great worship night is when people walk out and go, wow, we met with God tonight. Who led worship anyway? Because they've forgotten about who's on the platform. And they become more focused on who God is. Now, that's, that's our desire. Our desire is to point people to Jesus. See how Jesus wants to change our lives? He fundamentally calls us to change. We're so far from it in our sin nature that he's patient with us. But the call in this passage is not for us to be remembered, not for our names to be on things, but for Jesus' name to be glorified. We want to be a church that people come to because they hear Jesus is glorified. Because they experience Jesus when they come here. And they experience that through us loving them. Through us working to get the best for them. 
through us serving them. So I'm telling you, when the church is healthy, it should be easy to get volunteers. It should be simple. Because people should be going, how do I serve? Where do I serve? What can I do? Oh, I can do that. I can do that. I can walk around with a little box and pass out, you know, treats to guys as they come in on Father's Day. Or I can stand out there and give, give drinks to the women who come in on Mother's Day. This will be fun. We'll just have a good time with this and encourage people. It'll be great. Uh, yeah, let's say a little, it'll be fun. Just, just looking for ways. People just looking for ways to serve to give of themselves to lift other people up. Uh, all of it needs to flow out of our desire to lift others up. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 goes on to say, it tells us what love is. And, and it, <laughs> it, you know, it doesn't say anything about goosebumps up and down our back or, you know, ooey feelings of some sort. Love is patient and kind. patient kind. Love does not envy or boast. Doesn't envy what somebody else has. It doesn't boast over what it has. It is not arrogant or rude. Even when things aren't going the way they want it to go. It's not rude. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's the gold standard for love. Here's the hook that we can judge our, our response to others in. Am I being irritable? Am I being resentful? Am I, am I being arrogant? Am I demanding for myself? Am I just wanting something for me or my family? And when we judge that, it, it, it means to put this foundation of, of love for people. Since somebody says, oh, you know, uh, I'm just not a, you know, a, a person who's comfortable being friendly. If you love, you are. If you choose to love, you choose to be friendly to others. You choose to be kind to others. You, you choose to be patient with others. You choose... All of these actions that you choose that, to, to, to be in because that's what love does. It's this desire of the heart. The definition of how love acts is laid out here in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to really point to it. It is not a feeling but an action. It's not a feeling but an action. Listen, you can fall in and out of feelings. You can fall in and out of feelings. This famous passage in Revelation where the church has become lukewarm and God's calling them back to loving Him and to serving Him with all their heart. And He says to them, go back and do the things you did at first. Go back and do those things. Remember what it was when you first met me and you first fell in love with me. Go back and do those things. Why? Because when you begin to do the things you did at first, the feelings will come back. The, fee the actions aren't supposed to be uh, predicated on the feelings. The feelings come because the actions are right. And so we choose to act. You can act in love, 
when you're not feeling it. You may not feel like being patient, and you can choose to be patient. That's not hypocrisy. That's obedience. Are you with me? And so the call is, is that we act in love. So I can be struggling with the feeling and still act in love. This is key to church health. A growing group of people in that church maturely coming to the understanding of how we treat each other and walking that way, living that way towards everybody in the church, looking at their life and tearing down all of the things that separate us from people. Age differences, style differences, dress differences, education, tearing all that stuff down and seeing people as the creation of God that I'm supposed to show love to. When you get a growing core of people like that, and they begin to, uh, uh, you know, infect the rest of the body, they begin to influence the rest of the body, it generates great health in the church. And when the opposite of that happens and there begins to be a growing core of people who act in discord or act in selfishness or act in arrogance, it's not long until a church is filled with division and filled with, with silos of people that are uh, pitted against each other and they're mad at the staff and mad at the board and mad at the other departments and all kinds of turmoils going on because they stop looking at each other in love. It's our call to protect the church from that. Amen? So the church would be an objective for us to accomplish things. We're supposed to act enough. Now I would tell you, that, that's, that, that plays out. We take the church, take 12 and 13, 14 out and just say, what should my family act like? There you go. It's right here. This is a key passage about love. It's a key passage of, about how we're supposed to treat each other. Now, it goes on in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He opens it. He kind of wraps this thing with this thing. Love is never overcome by the circumstances. It never fails. True love, the the mature heart of love is not going to fail. It's going to return to doing the right thing because they're walking in a relationship with God. It, it's, all, it's all about a desire to, have, to, to do right before God and to love people and to treat people correctly. Now, the question that arises from this passage that brings division among believers is when does the perfect come? So, some say that the perfect came with the recognition of scriptural canon. Therefore, all the gifts have passed away. Well, most of the gifts, they'll say. That's, that's part of the weakness of their argument. The main attack that they do is on tongues, and they'll say once the canon was established, we didn't need uh, tongues, prophetic gifts, we didn't need the gift of knowledge anymore. We didn't need these things anymore uh, because they, you know, we have the Bible. But we know 
that knowledge hasn't passed away. We still know things, don't we? We still get insight. We know that many of these things still happen in the world today. But people who don't like gifting, people who want to dismiss especially tongues, come to this passage and try to write the gift of praying uh, in tongues, the gift of people speaking in tongues. They want to write it off because of this passage. Others say that the perfect comes when Jesus returns to reign. He's the perfect one. And when he comes, that's when we won't need these kind of things anymore. Even now, though, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Even now, when we use the gifts, we, just, we don't know it all. We know what's revealed to us. We know in part. We don't have the full picture That's why we are careful to judge all gifts against the Scripture and with spiritual leadership so we don't go running off on stuff because we don't know. We don't don't see clearly. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. One of the things Corinthian was known for uh, was uh, their, their artisans created mirrors. So he's speaking right to their language. And there were mirrors of all qualities. Uh, most, most people couldn't afford the really nice mirrors. Most of the mirrors that people could afford were, could afford were made out of some sort of metal. And if you've ever looked into a, a piece of metal and used it for a mirror, even when it's shined up uh, really, really well, it's not nearly as good as our common mirrors of the day. But that's what the normal person could afford to get. That's what the typical person could afford to have was something that was of cheaper quality. And so they were relating to this in their own terms. Hey, right now we see through a mirror dimly. We don't, you know, if you've ever seen yourself in, if you've ever seen yourself in a really good mirror, you know that what you're seeing in the mirrors most of us have is not a clear picture. And that's what he's saying to us as a church. Listen, there's a lot of, even in the gift, there's a lot of things that are going on that we accept by faith. We receive by faith. We don't have the full picture. We don't have the full picture of when Jesus is going to return. We don't have the full picture of why we go through some of the things we go through. We don't have the full picture. But we can know some things for certain. And we build on faith and we put our hope in those things. But then when the perfect one comes, we shall see face to face. I think this is key to when the perfect one comes. Uh, Even with Scripture today, there are things that we see dimly. We look at it, and we think we have it figured out, and uh, then circumstances change. You know, I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. You can go back in the 1800s, 
and you can read uh, great preachers, their messages, talking about end times. And they have taken the scripture that says that Israel will become a nation again. And they, they say, well, that's impossible. That can never happen. Uh, so the church is really, you know, Israel. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seen as a nation spiritually. And so uh, the Lord could come at any moment. So you got people in the 1800s saying the Lord could come at any moment because the church is the nation of Israel. Well, now... In our day and age, we know Israel becomes a nation again. Miraculously, just what the Bible says is going to happen, happens. Back, you know, when you read the passages about the, the, the two prophets uh, that are proclaiming in Israel that, uh, uh, about the glory of God, and they're, they have mirac- the, the power to do miracles, and they're doing miraculous things, and finally, they are killed, and their bodies lay on the streets of Jerusalem for three days. And while they're laying on the streets, the Bible says, and the whole world sees it. If you go back a few hundred years and they talk about that, they think, well, the whole world is, you know, it's, that's defined as the people in that world that were knowing what was going on. Well, now we know. CNN or somebody will show it. The whole world will see it. They'll watch it. And when God raises them up, the whole world's going to see it. Because when we see that passage from history, we see dimly. But as time goes by, we begin to see it a little more clearly. And the day's going to come when things that we see dimly now, that we don't understand completely now how they're going to work, when he comes, we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to see things clearly. And one of the things that he warns us about is that we don't see ourselves clearly. We see ourselves dimly. He sees us clearly. We don't see us clearly. We justify things and excuse things and don't understand some things, but when we see him face to face, we're going to suddenly see ourselves clearly. And friends, there's not going to be too many of us dancing about that. We're going to be humbled about that. So the call is for us to be humble in the thought of that now, to not lift ourselves up now, but to love others now. The call is, is that as we love others now, that helps clean up some of the stuff in us that we're going to see clearly then. And so he gives us this clear place where we can look that when Jesus stands before us, we can say, you know, I may have had it wrong in a lot of places, but Lord, you know, I, I wanted the best for others. I did everything out of the right motivation. I did everything for the right reason. When we see him, our eyes will be open to know fully as I am known fully right now. Again, why the motives of my heart are important. 
I can have a, a lot of error in my life if, if the motives of my heart are about loving people. God can correct me in that. So do I love others? So he says, now we have faith where we trust God, we believe him. Now we have hope that whatever we're going through, whatever we're facing, God is with us. He's going to help us. He's going to give us strength. He's coming someday. This isn't the end of the story. We have hope and we have love. The call for us to treat others with love. And he says, the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Faith's good. You need faith. Possible, please God without faith. Hope is good. It's far better to go through this life with the struggles we face, face with hope that God's got his hand on my life. But the greatest of all of these, the most important of all of them, is that we love. Now, he's applying this clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 to how the church worships, to how the church prays, to how the church serves, to how the church uses gifts. He's applying it to the practical application of a healthy church is that it's built on us having agape for others, wanting the best for others, and using the gifts and resources that we have to bless others. Amen? Bless the Lord. Let's stand together and come on down front together. We're going to close around this altar tonight. Anybody have a word you want to share tonight? Something that God's told you or... Thank you. Love the quarterback, CNN, watching the truth. Yeah. They're all going to, the world's going to see it someday. Yeah. You know, and, and, and here's the truth. The world's going to find a way to excuse everything away. They always do. The world is full of excuses uh, to, to excuse things away. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I just, you know, I believe when the rapture comes, they'll excuse it away some way. You know, there'll be some excuse they'll come up with of, you know, aliens showed up or we're all hiding someplace or some other weird thing. The world, the world will come up with excuses because that's what the devil does. He lies. And, he, and he'll want to deceive people. But I'll tell you what, by the time you get down to this point where this stuff's happening, it's going to get harder and harder to lie. <laughs> it's going to be more and more obvious that the power of God's at work. And that he's giving people a chance to repent and turn to him. Yeah. Anyone else? Despite all the love we have, God never raises us. Yeah, we've got to we've got to have him. We can't we can't we can't listen. Key scripture again, important scripture, is uh, when Jesus says you 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 can't see the kingdom of God until you're born again. What does that mean? Until your heart is transformed, all the things that we see here 
we don't begin to understand. You can come in here and you can listen to us talk about this. You can't impose it on yourself. You can't say, oh, I'm just going to do that on your, on your own. There, there will still, we need the grace work of God in our life for any of it to happen. And we need the continual convicting power of God in our life to keep us on course. Uh, I think one of the most dangerous places a Christian can get is when they begin to think, you know, I've got it, I'm, I'm doing good enough. You know, I think that's a dangerous place to walk. You want to walk in this humility before God. I need you today. I need you tomorrow. I need you the next day. And if there's any praise that comes to me, it's got to go straight to you because I can't do any of this. And then that helps me be patient with other people who are at different levels of growth than I am. Yeah, amen. Anybody else? That, what, what was it? That meant many ways to get oh, to get to heaven. Yes, it looks like it's very. It's becoming an accepted way that people in the thought process are expressing and trying to understand why. Because the Bible is very clear that Christ is the only way. The the only way I understand it is is that people want an excuse to live any way they want to live. They want an excuse. And when you say there's many ways to heaven and many ways to get there, then I don't have to become accountable to Christ. I, I can just live any way that I want to and kind of impose my own rules on this. And it's just, again, part of the deceitfulness of the, of the enemy. And, and it really, it, when, you, when you confront that, it angers people, which is the natural response to God's truth. Cain is a great example to us of how the world responds when the truth hits them in the face. They don't go, oh, God, I mean, God says to him, hey, if you just go do what's right, I'll accept you. And Cain, you know, Cain takes that message as, oh, I should go kill Abel. And that's what the world does. Uh, when the world faces that kind of conviction, many, many times, many people do not repent. They just get mad. And, and the church and the, and, and the followers of Christ become hated. And so the, 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 the world is always, the enemy's always been trying to stir, stir the world to stamp out the church. They'll, he'll never get it done because the power of God will protect us. But that's part of the reason. That there's probably several others too. Rick, do you have something? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Someday I don't have to, I won't have to have faith anymore. I'll, it'll all be clear. Someday I won't have to have hope anymore. It'll all be there. The love will always be there. Yeah, amen. Praise God. Might as well start now. You know, amen. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for this congregation.
I, I pray that, Father, wherever we might be struggling to, uh, to feel and to sense a right spirit towards somebody else, uh, that you would heal us. Just heal us. Uh, Lord, we know many, many times that healing comes as we begin to act inside the truth. And so, uh, Lord, challenge us to uh, do the nice thing, to do the right thing, to do the helpful thing, to do the good thing, to, to bless those who curse us. And, Lord, as we come in, in, in as a church fellowship, I pray that, Father, we would just... Uh, be a people who love to serve, love to encourage others, love to bless others, and that because of a Father, you'll give us the opportunity to serve more and more people, and that we will transform our community. I pray that as a church, you'd help us to want to serve our community so that, that Father, we would uh, go out individually, as small groups, as departmental groups, as a church and pour out love on our community. Help us to be all about that, we pray. And Lord, as we turn to these next few weeks and we look at uh, the power of prophecy and the power of tongues and uh, the power of how to, and instruction and how to do these things and how to walk in them, let all that come alive in us and uh, let us see how to walk in your spirit every day. Bless us and guide us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord today.